0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the entirely 158th episode of the Shut Up and Sit po- podcast. I'm gonna take that again.
1: <laughs> you reckon? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Very Much 158th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Uh, my name is Ava Foxfort, and I'm here to talk about board games with Mr. Quentin Smith.
1: Hello, Ava Foxfort. I am also here to talk about board games.
2: And we're going to talk about board games with Mr. Tom Brewster. Hello, Ava Foxfort and Quentin Smith. I am also here to talk about board games. We're in our board game jumpsuits. We've got dice up our sleeves. We're ready to roll, baby. I'm so glad
1: you said up our sleeves there because i was all the directions that could have gone i'm excited i haven't been on the podcast for a while i feel rusty like an old pram
0: yeah but you still want to talk about board games and that's what we're gonna do and i'm really glad that everyone said they want to talk about board games it would be really awkward if someone wanted to talk about something different but no today we're going to be talking about board games we're going to be talking about hadrian's wall we're going to be talking about kabuto sumo and we're also going to be talking about a couple of games that have already got big, enormous, and wonderful reviews from uh, uh, Quins and Toms themselves. We've got Descent and Burgle Brothers
2: to the Casino Capers. I think I've got the subtitle right. You got the subtitle correct. You did. I was Brilliant. going to put that in the actual video title, but then that would have made it really long. So I just got yeah. the Burgle 2 for the whole video. Yeah, burgle, 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 Two, two,
0: two.
1: I don't know what that was. <laughs> I yeah, I, I was trying to come in with something but I was I couldn't I couldn't do it. But if you're uh, spent. You're
2: an old rusty pram and you need to be wheeled out to the scrap. Why am
1: I, oh, I feel like you two did not set me up successfully. Don't send no, me out to the true. scrap. I do did, you didn't tee me up. Scrap, like what heat, was I supposed scrap, to do with heat, that? Scrap. Heat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not having this. We're going straight into a sting so I can talk about Adrian's want and get this pram back on the motorway, baby. <laughs> Okay, let's get to, I almost said let's get to gaming and then immediately regretted that, even just (laughs) popping into my head. We're going to start by talking about Hadrian's Wall, uh, which is a game designed by Bobby Hill with art by Sam Phillips and published by Garfield Games. And it's a game about Hadrian's Wall. Um, Now, I'm quite excited to talk about this because a while back on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, I, I feel like I was fantasizing about... If what if the genre of roll and was just bigger? So if you're new to the podcast, roll and writes are kind of a, a have been a hot thing for the last few years. Um, the most common one is Yahtzee, but these are basically games where players are given not a board but a piece of paper and then also, and pencil. And then throughout the course of the game, you're making notches and filling in boxes and stuff on this piece of paper, which usually has all kinds of complicated rules and considerations. And these games are fun. We quite like a lot of the good ones here at Shut Up and Sit Down. But I was like, what if this genre was more? What if rather than taking, you know, 20 minutes, it took like an hour? And what if rather than filling in, you know, 30 boxes over the course of the game, you filled in like 400? What if rather than filling in a little postcard size piece of paper, you filled in like an A3 size piece of paper? And now, for my sins, I have been given that in the form of (laughs) Hadrian's Wall, which we all played. So Hadrian's Wall sees players uh, as Roman generals in history times building Hadrian's Wall, which is, if you're not aware, a huge wall that literally stretched across the entire neck of England to keep, you know, now Scotland on the other side because the Romans just didn't want to deal with all the Picts. On the other side who kept coming down into their territory so they decided they'd build a wall across the entire country it's kind of like the great wall of china but smaller significantly less impressive and in england so and now worse.
2: mostly gone right mostly gone
1: but you can you can still walk it today uh, or you can walk you know the ruins of it and so in this board game you have got not one but two large pieces of paper and you are going to be filling so many boxes so So the way that this game works is in each of the game's six rounds, each one representing a year, players can be sort of given this great dollop of resources, which can be four different kinds of people, which is uh, Roman slaves or builders or soldiers or citizens. And you're also going to get tons of brick and you're going to use these resources to fill in approximately one million different tracks <laughs> on your board. Help me out, you two. What What can you build? So first off, you can build your wall. Da wall. You can build your, your cohorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you build can build
2: people that stand in front of the wall, people yes. that stand near the wall, and a fort behind the wall. And then you've got <laughs> you, all the tracks on You can on chop the right. down trees to oh, get yeah.
1: more resources that you can use to build like workshops and... Uh, roads and monuments and you then that's all just four on one piece
2: different of paper. monuments you got so <laughs> many options there but then when you you get these have we even
0: covered the spikes like you build spikes in front of the (laughs) wall like it's not just a wall it's it's people then spikes then wall then Then, there's a moat or a ditch somewhere in there as well
1: and all of these and this actually fits the theme quite well because in a lot of run and rights you kind of fill in tracks you fill in square after square after square running left to right but of course you're building a wall in Hadrian's Wall you've got to build you know your moat and your spikes and your wall and your armies all from left to right to extend across the section of the wall that you're responsible for for that's a nice bit of theme isn't it folks Mm. um but that's just one piece of paper you also have an entire second piece of paper which is like when you get citizens that come and live in your area of town you can send those citizens off to become entertainers or people who take baths which i was never totally clear on or uh people who go off and scout picked formations or traders Um, And these kind of represent different areas that you can specialize. And as you get more citizens of each color, you then can build buildings. You can build temples. You can build gladiatorial arenas. You can build markets, all of which basically takes the form of little squares to fill. And the thing you need to know about all this stuff as you fill it all in, it'll all give you different little benefits. Like as you, I don't know, improve your resource collection, then you'll get more bricks in future turn. As you build theaters, you can put on shows, which will um, give you different stuff because on about half of this game on about half of the approximately 300 squares you have the opportunity to fill in in hadrian's wall um a, half of them have little resources in so maybe you know you'd put a performance on in the theater by paying a brick but then that gives you a builder and uh, you know someone of another track and then as you fill in that other track that gets you a purple you know slave person, and then you can send them to get a brick from in front of the wall. So the game kind of, the rounds extend and extend because that small pool of resources you've got become, you know, other resources, become other resources, and you're trying to fill as many boxes as you can in over the course of a round. Now, that's a basic teaching overview of Hadrian's Wall, but the thing I really want to start this conversation with is... I have never
2: played a board game that feels more like an exam. Um, Tom, <laughs> do you want to talk about why that is? I have got exactly the same sequence of words written at the top of my little notebook in front of me. <laughs> uh, th- oh, I mean- also, you know what? Let's let's not, before we get
1: into making fun of it, I really quite like this game. Yes. I, en- I enjoyed it. I don't know how I ever felt because she played it one player and you and I played it together.
0: Yeah. No, I played it two players. I played it with my friend oh. Hal, who actually would have taken offence at the fact that you said bricks instead of stone there.
1: Well, uh, technically, Ava, <laughs> technically they're resource, they trade goods, aren't they? Because yeah, 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 can... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: They're grey resource cubes. Every board gamer's <laughs> favourite piece of wood.
0: But yeah, I think I did like it. I think I see problems with it, but I think I enjoyed the process a
2: hell of a lot and there's a good rhythm. And we'll get back to that in a minute. Yeah, I, I, there's definitely... So, the game has got this... You're, you're right that it has a sort of rhythm to it, and this is partly what contributes to the feeling of it being kind of an exam. You have these six rounds that you're going to play the game over, and each round you do all your stuff on the boxes, but then in between each one there are some picks who come and invade, and then they'll hit different parts of you wall, and you and your friend that you're playing it with will commiserate over what parts of your wall got trashed by these people coming down to invade you. But... In between those very small moments where you sort of gather around and talk about <laughs> some people who you're fighting, in between then you take your resources and you say to your friend, "See you in ten minutes," and then you just quietly fill boxes for a while together.
1: And it's it's like I when, I cannot remember the last time I was just sat with a piece of paper with another friend who was sat with a piece of paper. It's like you're like if someone saw you at a distance, it looks like you're doing paperwork. <laughs>
2: And it is, I mean, it kind of is paperwork. Like, it is kind of just a game about, like, administration. It's like the the beating heart of all good Euro games is like a secret joy of organization and and efficiency. Mm. And this is that game like that's this game is that made manifest like that core pillar of getting a bunch of resources and then working out exactly the most efficient route of how to spend them is very good but it is it feels like you should be compensated for your labor afterwards it's it's (laughs) a very hard sell to give people which is like hey do you want to sit and fill out paperwork for an hour i bet you do come and join me on hadrian's wall
0: So I think it's like really important that like one of the things that I think this game gets really right, and is one of the things that I enjoyed the most about it, is that it knows how much paperwork it is. And as such, it does give you little wooden pieces. Mm. And I found that the fact that it wasn't quite just paperwork, the fact that it was paperwork that allowed you to exchange one wooden piece for a different wooden piece and then work out what you were going to do with that thing. And because there was just enough of that in there, rather than just literally I tick this off and I move up a different track it wasn't just stuff on the paper and I think this needed that more than any other role and write that I've played because that that fiddling like having things lined up on because there is almost there is a little board isn't there there's like a road in front of your thing that you Mm. tuck cards under and stuff and having all of my people and my rocks and uh, and everything lined up on the road and being like right okay so if i spend those two things i get one of those and that means i can do this and that and that and that like extra physical tactile reminder was like so lovely and
2: i don't know why it was quite so lovely i think that there's like i was talking to quins about this while we were playing we were saying who is this game like meant for and i think Mm. that on board game geek, it says this is best for one player, and I think <laughs> it, I think it is a really good pickup for solo gamers. Like I think it's really good for people who want to play a one player game. I think it might be best for one player because it has that absurdly low setup time. It's for people who want to play something that's kind of crunchy and yuri but very very quickly because it has this crazy low setup time it's not as quick and breezy as something like Railroad Inc that you can play solo, but it's further towards a Euro game. And it does give you, you're right, Ava, that tactility of just holding and manipulating pieces, which is like, that's part of the joy of like every game. So just having that might like put it a shade above, like playing some other Rollin Rights on your own. I don't know. I I don't know. I think, when I think about
1: the Roland Rights in my collection, you know, Welcome To (coughs) and Railroad Inc, the times that those come out, to play tend to be when i'm like oh hey let me show you something this only takes 15 minutes and you'll think it's cool and then mm. we play the game and they're like oh that's cool that's interesting hatreds well you know you can't do that it's like hey let me show you something and then it's like inviting someone into your basement and they realize oh no i'm never gonna get out of here because it's an hour long game <laughs> i think there was a when you talk about this game having a rhythm i i, I I personally didn't um, didn't encounter that, but I did encounter that turn one really exciting, full of possibilities. Turn two and three, oh, sorry, round two and three. So minutes twenty, the twenty-minute mark and the thirty-minute mark really fun. The 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 minute mark from thirty minutes to fifty minutes. Not going to lie, that's when Tom and I were looking at each other being like, oh my, how much of this game is there left? But the game redeemed itself between the 50-minute mark and the 60-minute mark because, like, you know, so much of the game is filling out tracks and getting rewards. And you're constantly getting more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. So it's only in the final round that you realise that you're not going to achieve what you set out to achieve or not. So that mm. final round for me was really interesting when I'm like, oh, hang on. Oh, no, I'm never, I'm not going to max out my theatre track. I don't get to put on this performance. I'm not, you know, or oh, whatever. Um, So I, I, I don't know. I like the first act and the third act. Second act, you know, a bit wonky.
2: I think it has... The thing that I really enjoyed about it is that it has sort of two modes of play. I think you were engaging with one and I was engaging with the other, which is basically like you were very much taking those resources at the start of your turn, looking at them and predicting you were going like, okay, if I spend this here, then I'll get one of those, then I can use one of those and one of those to build this. And you were chaining them all in your head without spending any resources. Whereas I, an idiot, decided to just start (laughs) chucking pieces around left, right and center and grabbing the bonuses and just sort of seeing what happened. And I think it's good because you can engage with the puzzle in both ways and it's still fine. You can either have this sort of plan that you crunch out and then execute, or you can be very flexible and adaptable and try and get that like nice spread of bonuses. And there's that's another thing. There's a touch in this game where you can spread your resources over a whole sheet to hoover up like as many little perks as possible and sort of play like that. But without direction, you're not going to get those like big end game points that I can see like just tempting me. There's so much room for efficiency, right?
1: Yeah. But there's a there's. It feels like an efficiency puzzle, but what I really, really liked about that sixth round that I found so interesting is so much of the game is just you fill in tracks and then you get rewards. And that's, you know, we've talked about Fleet the Dice game and the semi-sequel Three Sisters that you two like maybe a bit more than me, but I think are really good. Whereas those games are all about getting bonuses and Hadrian's Wall has that. But because it's such a long game, what I really liked about the final act of Hadrian's Wall is that those tracks start running out. Mm. Like, for example, The Bathhouse, you know, you can make friends with politicians, which then makes it okay if you maybe let some pics through to your <laughs> section of the wall. <laughs> or you can put on shows in the theater, you know, this is stuff you can do every round, but up to a point. Because once those tracks are full, and Hadrian's Wall is such a long game that if you focus on those tracks, you will fill them up. I encountered this moment of like, you know, uh, Wiley e. Coyote running off the end of the cliff in Hadrian's War. I'm like all the stuff I was relying on to just get me, you know, a blue person or a yellow person when I needed it just stopped. And then mm. I, I realized that I wasn't thinking about this game as hard as I maybe needed to.
0: And that's with you being a being a person who is thinking and planning everything at the beginning of the turn and not like me and Tom, who are just like, I am going to think a little bit and then I'm just suddenly going to start changing things because I just can't <laughs> keep that information in my head. So I need to be swapping these bits of wood out, which maybe was why I enjoyed that so much. And maybe what gave it some of that rhythm that I'm talking about? Because I think there was, what the thing that I liked about it was this... Checking in with someone. So I want to I want to just talk about the fact that like I think one of the people that this might be good for, or the sort of people this might be good for, is people who enjoy parallel play, which is like mm. a thing that kids do as they're like learning social skills, and also a thing that you neurodivergent know, people are kind of like often a bit more interested in. Um, Which is doing a thing socially with someone where you're not really doing it socially, you're doing something beside people. And I think multiplayer solitaire, as people tend to call it, where people are basically playing their own game, um, has a bad rap. And I think sometimes that can be nice for people who... People like me who want to sometimes be like, I just want to have a quiet time with my friends and I want to think and I want to check in with them once every 15 minutes (laughs) and see how (laughs) things are going in the shared like moving cards and shuffling around phase. And then I want to sit and think and be able to like occasionally pipe up and like, and that's a lovely vibe. Like, so I don't want this to go down as like, this is only good as a solo game because I think that, I think for a very specific vibe, this is...
2: A really good game for creating that vibe. I will I, say, I though, that. I did feel a, a sense of awkwardness having finished my puzzle in such a ramshackle silly way during my turn where I just frittered away resources left, right, and center. But then I feel like I was putting some major pressure on Quinns as he sat and <laughs> sweated through his turn. With your, Like my turns ended like sort of I would be like, oh, okay, that's me done. And you'd go, right, done. Okay, let's look at the next thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was uh, putting that pressure on you during my goes. Having said all that, though, I do want to go back to one of your earlier points, Quinn, where you said that Welcome 2 and Railroad Inc. are these sort of like, let me show you something games. I think that Fleet, the dice game, is still top of the pile for me because it kind of does both. It does that Hadrian's Wall, you get loads of resources and you cross off loads of boxes, but it also is a game that I think I could show to quite a lot of people and they would have fun because of the theme which is better and more ridiculous and more silly and the individual parts are way more memorable like in hadrian's wall i couldn't really tell you much of the difference between the different parts of the wall i was building or the different people i was putting into little slots but i can tell you in fleet the dice game that i just got a one-way ticket to the captain's club and i bought <laughs> a load of fish soup at the supermarket and
0: i i don't know, I, don't know. I, I I think it's like a very different sort of thematic pleasure because i think there is a, such a deep commitment here to thinking about the amount of infrastructure that a wall requires <laughs> um, I, and, uh, I, I couldn't think... agree more like
1: get it, bec- I, turning like roll and is a genre where you fill in tracks like building hadrian's wall there are attra- oh, hang on look i'm gonna zoom in on this photo so we can get this right now yeah so there's forestry up at the top followed by the wall guard followed by the sippy followed by the wall followed by the fort like it made me feel like i was like what 10 and you have that inexplicably <laughs> awesome history lesson where it's like let's talk about the structure of a roman legion which is like you're not used to being entertained as a kid but like that was really entertaining for me and like i think it's such a perfect theme for a roll right. Yeah. yeah yeah i maybe. mean yes no you're right though that cr- creating a fleet of shrimp boats and sending them out <laughs> and building a tavern is awesome and way better maybe but, more like... welcoming
0: and also like the uh The other side of it, the thing that is just like loads of random buildings that would exist in like the civilization behind the wall are just a lot of random bits of bits of roman culture with uh, fancy names that you don't necessarily understand and you don't know how they connect to things so it's kind of got both sides of it and like i think the wall side was really weirdly exciting and then the bit that actually had all of the people in it was a bit of like like i don't know what that massive latin word for a type of person means so i don't know how <laughs> i can engage with that and there were little interesting flourishes in there b- although also like what felt like 12 very small mini games that you have to teach when you're already halfway through a teach, yeah, which yeah. is overwhelming. And like one of the things that I really want to talk about, which is a little bit drifting to the side, is just like this, those, that sheet does not do enough work to explain a game as complicated as it is. Um, yeah, and it's I not agree. that complicated all of the individual elements are fairly straightforward but there's so many of them that you need reminders and one of the best things about Roland White's is that you can do that like if your your graphic design can tell people the rules and remind people of things and be consistent so that you know that when something is pictured in various different places it means the same things and because this doesn't do that it's a, an overwhelming prospect <laughs> to teach and... I remember...
1: I, uh, because you have to look at this game right way up because it's a piece of paper covered in iconography. When, when I sat down to play it with Tom, I was like, I'm going to teach you the game now. And then I had to move my chair like right next to him, <laughs> like I was his dad or something. And then I was like, right now, see this? This is your wall. And I, I and you know, you teach, you know, the wall and the resource tracks and the victory point tracks. And, and Tom was like, yeah, cool. Then you get onto the second piece of paper. And yeah. like, as I was going through sub minigame building after minigame building, The the light just drained out of Tom's eyes. And he, like, I'm quite good at teaching games. By the end of me teaching Hadrian's World to Tom, Tom didn't want to play. Tom ended up having fun in spite of that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I can see why you find yeah no of course when roller rights are like this light hey let me show you something cool hadrian's wall is not that hadrian's no, wall is no. we're going to sit down and with the teach like to spend an hour and a half doing this but you know what you two i think this conversation is making me want to keep it because i just i like things in my collection which are extreme and this is by far in, in a lot of different ways the most extreme roll and write i've played
2: extreme you know? hadrian's wall extreme
1: paperwork
2: So we've just spent a while talking about a game that is complicated and has you filling in boxes. Now let's chill out and talk about a hot, hot dexterity game about pushing bugs. Uh, So Kabuto Sumo is a dexterity game uh, that is published by Board Game Tables, designed by Tony Miller with some gorgeous art from Quan Chai Moria. You've played dexterity games about balancing. You've played your dexterity games about flicking. Now it's time for a dexterity game about the sacred art of pushing. Uh, In this game, you're playing (laughs) two bug sumo wrestlers going head-to-head to to try and push each other out of a wrestling ring. And if you knock someone out, then you win the game. Simple as that. During the game, you're going to take a piece from your personal supply of these lovely clacky little wooden discs. You start with two little green ones and one large brown one, and you push them into the ring using a little ramp that you sort of like attach to the side of the ring and you gently push your piece into the ring once that piece should we mention here
1: that the ring is is vertically raised up yes (laughs) it
2: is a platform that is a that stands aloft from the table um and you slowly push your piece onto the ring which will obviously like sort of nudge everything slightly around it and once the piece is fully on you take your finger off and the next player has their go An important thing, though, is that if you knock any other pieces, because there's tons just dumped onto this little plateau, anything that falls off the board, you take and put into your personal supply. And if you knock off your opponent, then you just win the game straight away. Now, that sounds very simple, and it is. Uh, but each bug has their own special power. So you've got a beetle with a big pincer head you can catch people in. There's a daredevil bug that gets a big pronged cactus piece if he's near the edge. There's a dung beetle who can trade up his pieces to this massive pile of dung that slides onto the board and is super disruptive. It's just huge and orange and terrifying. And then my favorite one is just a bug that's just too large. Uh, th- <laughs> and that's kind of all of Kabuto Sumo's rules condensed into a fine pulp of dexterity goodness uh i really really like this game and i don't really know why
1: (laughs) i was gonna say like well the two things to say is we should resort to what every other board game podcast has said which is to imagine this game you need to imagine those coin pushing games at a penny arcade Mm. where you know you put in some pennies and then hope they push off other pennies but they don't because when you push circles towards circles circles have this weird way of just not going where you want which is why a game of Kabuto Sumo takes 45 minutes (laughs) and not well that's that's unfair because we heard it could take up to 45 minutes but Tom and I wrapped our games up in about 20 minutes I think
2: yeah and and I've played a couple of other games since and they've also wrapped up in about 20 minutes I think the 40 minutes isn't the norm so Ava, here's the thing. This board game has put the
1: cat among the pigeons uh, in the board game press. Because Some people say it's just awful. Some people say it's real good. And we're here to definitively say it's it's somewhere, somewhere in between. It's off good. Good full. No, it's not good for. It's not full of good. It's good. No, no it is full of good. There's place. lots of good stuff.
2: It is, it is uh, full of good. I think, right, like I think that a lot of people get have been caught up in whether there are better dexterity games, whether there are dexterity games that are more worth your time, that are more engaging and exciting and all of that. And I think a lot of people are ignoring, like, the the tactility and presence of this game as being just so joyous. And I think, like, this isn't the most, like, smart and amazing and satisfying dexterity game out there, but it is very funny. It's an, like, I have completely, like made a fool of myself multiple times by knocking my own piece out of the ring in this game because there's something about the way that those discs like okay the rules for pushing are incredibly simple you have to push with one you say that we had to look them up we did have some trouble but once you've seen the pushing examples youtube video it all gets (laughs) smoothed out so you can push with one or two fingers from this ramp onto the board you have to go into a straight line and once your piece is all the way on the board you're done it adds a wrinkle that I didn't think about, which is like you can't stop pushing if you've decided that it's a bad push. <laughs> so I have had several times where I've got because I've played the the, the cactus cactus Jack, I think his name is, who's a beetle that has this massive cactus piece that you can push onto the board like a little spear, a javelin straight into the heart of the ring. Or <laughs> so I thought, and I, as I started pushing it into the center, which pushed another piece, which <laughs> gradually pushed my person off the edge, and I just that piece is so long that you just can't stop pushing it until it's all the way on and when it's finally on everything has been knocked off and you've lost the game
1: i look, it it it, it, look, it can be funny and it's certainly like visually arresting and it's such a cool concept like i got this game sent from the publishers and you were so excited to play it you brought it up across multiple days until i brought it to your house <laughs> my problem with it is that to play well to actually like be competitive in this game means playing in a way that is less fun and less exciting than the game's original pitch. Because the way that I beat you is that, you know, like, because you have to come off the ramp in a straight line, like, you're very rarely going to have an opportunity to push a disc into a disc into the opponent's, you know, piece and actually move them towards the edge of the sumo ring. Which means so much of the game, to me, was just trying to get bigger pieces. Mm. Which means pushing, essentially, pieces that are off the edge. Unlike the coin-dropping arcade machines where you drop them in the top and hope. Um, In this game, it's possible to come in at an angle and definitely push another disc off. And that's probably what two thirds of my turns were, was just making sure that I pushed off multiple discs or traded a smaller disc to a bigger disc to try and improve my options and my flexibility. Because if you only have one or two discs in your supply, which is a very easy situation to get into, then suddenly you're not playing to push the other person's disc off. You're playing to survive. Mm. Because if you start the turn with no discs to put on, you actually lose the game. And that becomes a, the only thing you can think about if you only have one or two discs. Although I've played it less than Tom. Uh, Tom, in your now sort of quasi-professional uh, ruto sumo <clears throat> career, do you think that that's true?
2: Pretty much, yeah. But okay. <laughs> but I I like I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. I think like. In a lot of the games I've played, people have instantly taken to to saying mm, "good trade, good trade" after someone <laughs> uses a little green piece to push a big piece off. There's a, there's a tempo to the game where it builds and then someone gets these big pieces and then it's over. I think that like and having someone being on the back foot where all you care about is survival, I think that's so evocative. I think that that feels like you know the game is is modeling um, two bugs locking horns and then and then trying to flip each other over and. I think it models that so well that like when yes. you're down to your last piece, you can have these dramatic comebacks where you push your little tiny green piece on then it knocks off a brown, you're like, oh, this is an opportunity, and then you go for the kill someplace else. I just I I don't think I I I'm e- eager to not sound like I think this is the best <laughs> game ever, because I think there are probably better dexterity games. But I do think it's best played as this quick and silly little appetizer that's just very juicy and funny and, and, and charming. It's something that I think is just i already I'm so excited just to show people. Um I, oh, I
0: Could I know. could I have like a little like renegade opinion here that is blatantly me saying something much more bold than I have any right to but like Ooh, let's ooh, go. Yeah. I like this. <laughs> on the basis Yeah. Ava. Ava. <laughs> Ava. On the basis of what you've said so far, like I'm quite interested in this. And the reason I'm interested in this is that you've talked about it not being the best dexterity game, but you've also talked about it being a weird dexterity game and being an unusual yes. thing and like The joy of a dexterity game for me isn't really whether it's good. It's whether I'm getting to do something that I wouldn't be doing in any other circumstance. And like, that's what's special. Like, Flowerfall, actually a fairly boring game to some extent, but you're dropping cards onto a table and that's the game. And that's just hilarious. Top Top (laughs) Woodman. it's because you've got a little axe and you are hitting a thing and trying to hit it the exact amount of gentleness. And that is that is brilliant. The fuzzies, those things are weird. <laughs> that,
1: <laughs> weird fur eggs. I, that you, yeah. If you haven't seen uh, our review of the fuzzies uh, on our YouTube channel, you should go and look that up because it's by the designer of Wavelength and uh, Cracks of Quedlin. Is that Wolfgang Walsh? Yep, yep. I don't Cracks know, know if it's bird.
2: Wolfgang Walsh. I think it's just Palm Court. Um, no, okay. I, think,
0: I think Wolfgang Walsh Let did,
2: me find did, out. did work on the fuzzies. I think the cards are designed by him. <laughs> what do you, you mean the cards were designed by him? There's like three cards, <laughs> yeah. Well, he, and they do, like, he's the credited most as man. working on it, he is absolutely he credited is, he as is the credited. designer of the game. <laughs> My goodness, he actually <laughs> yeah, laid maybe not the creator, the, uh, <laughs> he laid the, the fuzzies. <laughs> Wolfgang he's Walsh,
1: the he, he himself excreted the small furry <laughs> eggs. Ava, I like where you're going with this. Uh, I, I like, you know, I like that Plan B series of pretzel games, you know, uh, which is Junkart, Flick 'em Up, and um, Men at Work. Is that what it's called? Mm. Um, I think those are all great games because, you know, when are you otherwise trying to place like an i beam with a tiny workman on it without disrupting the building site? <laughs> like, like, my question, I yes, any dexterity game where you do something novel is worthwhile, but my question is is kabuto sumo good enough that it's worth buying over all of the games that we've just mentioned because it's cheaper probably
0: i think the question isn't whether this is better than those things i think that's what i'm saying isn't it that it's not
1: about whether it's good it's about whether you do something that is different and but all good, all the dexterity games you just mentioned all the ones shut up it's down likes, you are doing something different that's almost like the par that dexterity games have to clear
0: yeah, but it doesn't matter which order you get those games in. Just get one and then see what the next one is.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm saying Yeah, I
0: don't care about quality, which is a terrible thing to say <laughs> as a board game <laughs> No, player. but
1: look, there was an episode of the Board Game Barrage podcast where they were saying, like, the thing about dexterity games is even, no matter how good they are, they feel like, you know, you play them, like, twice, and then the only time you play them again is to show them to someone. Yeah. So in that sense... Quality doesn't necessarily matter. <laughs> but there are still dexterity games I would I would choose to keep in my collection and ones I would not. I've chosen to keep Flick'em Up. I might not necessarily choose to keep uh, I don't know. What are some I don't know. Rhino Hero Super Battle is a game I did not keep, you know, yeah. but Flick'em Up is. So interestingly, so,
2: there's there's obviously some me here because I recently got rid of my copy of Flick'em Up and I think that Kabuto Sumo replaces it and i think that it replaces That's it because dumb it, well <laughs> you're okay dumb. okay
0: i think we need to roll the two of you down a little slide onto a raised <laughs> platform to settle this <laughs> <it. laughs>
2: um, i think that like if you are you playing dexterity games as these things where you crack them out and you play them a few times and then they're just to show to people i think flick them up is prohibitively hard to set up and doesn't suit like it, you know. It says that it's for for big groups of players. It's a two player game. So for a two player game that's quick to set up and is novel and is fun and is unique yeah. and weird, I think that like there's nothing in it for me. Like I I think that setting up the the, the expanse of flick up versus just plonking Kabuto Sumo down on a table. I don't know. I never. You know. Think okay. Maybe, maybe this is our conclusion. It's not. If if we agree then that whether Kabuto
1: Sumo is good or not, as Ava says, is somewhat irrelevant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I think that the thing to take away from Kabuto Sumo is it doesn't work as well as you might hope from looking at pictures. If you lower your standards just a little bit before you buy it, then it's a fine purchase because like all dexterity games, it'll see you doing something ridiculous and entertaining and surprising. (laughs) But it doesn't work as well as you'd hope.
2: I'll concede to that. I'll concede to that. Okay,
1: we can shake digital hands. Shake digital hands.
0: So finally, we were just going to have a little chat about the fact that both of you folks have put videos up on the internet about board games. Who knew that was a thing? If anyone likes watching videos about board games, head to shutupandsitdown.com. Oh, lovely. And take a look. see what I did there? You see what I did there? Um, Mm, So the last couple of reviews. So, Quinns, let's talk about this first. Uh, You reviewed Descent Legends in the Dark, which is the new app-assisted take on the Descent series of games which is dungeon crawley board games traditionally they've always had a one-to-many like dungeon master versus the players thing going on but now the dungeon master is a ipad (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so this is fantasy flight continuing the um the integration of apps into its games which i think maybe started with descent second edition which was of course an all versus one campaign but they were like hey let's release an app so you can just play it cooperatively and then they did the lord of or then they did mansions of madness second edition of course that was actually pretty before which was all against an app and then they did their uh, lord of the rings adventure game which was also against an app and then descent legends in the dark is just the most video game. It's got the most uh, sort of mobile game components. The app does the most stuff. It's got a 3D rendered dungeon that you spin a camera around with a touchscreen. And basically, long story short, I did not like this game. (laughs) Um, Although I did really enjoy the Twitter response afterwards when, because I was talking in the board game about like uh, how, oh yeah, this is the board game that's got the most video game elements. And then on Twitter, people were saying, "Um, well, this sounds more like a video game with physical components. And I was like, what? What? because it just had not occurred to me that if a board game <laughs> no, no. goes far enough with its digital element, it's maybe kind of a video game with pointless props yeah um, so that's a weird thing to unpick
0: yeah this is one of the things that i kind of wanted to ask actually because it's because i feel like i feel like this is such an odd decision for my to my mind because like my thing is i've generally bounced off or not being able to get excited about dungeon crawlers because so these games where you play some heroes and you go into a fantasy world and you go and you beat up some monsters because whenever i play them particularly if they've got that one-to-many structure i'm just thinking if we were playing a role-playing game i could be doing whatever i wanted and there would be no rules whatsoever and i could just play and uh, tell a story and that would be amazing and then yeah. this seems to have added to that problem that i'm going to be going through it and playing on an app and thinking like oh this is this is fun but boy i wish that there weren't people around me i could just do this on my computer <laughs> yeah
1: i kind of wish i was playing you know the new boulders Gate or whatever yeah it's very peculiar and like it's such a it's really pulling in two directions at once because legends in the dark has this amazing 3d terrain that you build mm. with stairs going up and three-dimensional trees and gorgeous miniatures that i probably didn't bang on about in the review half as much as i could have Um, But then where in normal, in previous versions of Descent, that's what you would be looking at. In Legends of the Dark, you spend so much less time looking at it and so much more time looking at a screen. So it's like, well, you're pouring resources into dividing my attention, you know, like I'm not, it's difficult. And the thing I did want to say on this podcast, actually, is that there were a lot of comments on my Legends in the Dark review saying, with people who were essentially naysayers the moment they heard about the app. They were like, oh, well, of course, this proves it. You know, video game or, like, app elements being introduced to board games is dumb and stupid, and the people who made it are dumb and stupid. It's not true. I think there's so much potential in integrating apps into board games. Um, I did a review of um, The Search for Planet X by Renegade Games, which introduces an app and does all kinds of stuff.
2: Uh, Inhuman Conditions has an app that basically just boils down to being a fancy timer, but, like, what it adds to that game is so juicy and theme-y. I love that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Legends in the Dark, so many elements of what the app adds you know, to do with like
1: handling your group's inventory or doing fun stuff like occasionally being like, hey, that thing you equipped, you know, randomly it's just going to proc this turn and, you know, a monster's going to take extra damage or get pushed extra far. There's tons of great stuff happening here. Just because Legends in the Dark didn't really cohere in a way that I liked doesn't mean that I don't want, I'm not excited to see what will happen next with this uh, sort of app integration of board games. Although, that said, if I'm totally honest, playing this game did make me realize that I do not... I want to look... If you've got an app being introduced to your board game, I want to look at it for as little time as possible. Like staring at a screen while being sat at a board game that I want to look at. And no. with my friends, who I want to look at, looking at a screen is like, just, it just feels very wrong. Yeah. You know, The app should be like a servant or a butler. It should not be, you know, hey, hey look over here. Look, look down at me. Look at, your phone. look at your phone. That's not what I want. It should be you know helping not forcing me to engage with it. and it feels
0: yeah. like particularly heartbreaking with that box of toys which leads me into my other question which is basically that like that those miniatures those board pieces all of that stuff looks very very cool so my question for you quince is does this have value instead of as the game that it is, but as a toy box for people who want to play role-playing games and want to be playing that with miniatures and stuff to have like a a doll's house full of stuff that they can bring to make their tables more evocative. And why didn't Fantasy Flight include a role-playing game in the box? Because I think that would have been (laughs) amazing.
1: Um. (laughs) You know, uh, I wouldn't say it's worth buying just as a box of toys because I'm sure there are cheaper ways to do that online. But here's the thing. I didn't personally like Legends in the Dark, but lots of people who left comments said they were having a great time with it. Um, So I think maybe it is worth picking up if you've got the £120 that it costs and you could definitely use those miniatures in D&D and you might enjoy the campaigners and campaign game as well i was gonna
2: say that it is i think i feel like from your review and from looking at descent as a, as a product like it feels like a game that is pitched to bring people into the hobby through a kind of digital portal where it's saying like hey yeah. this is kind of video game kind of board game and it's tempting people over into into getting some cardboard on the table but that price tag means it's like it's like a, a portal that's got an entrance fee which is prohibitively expensive
1: <laughs> yeah um, come and play board games we've got a nice simple beautiful game for you oh great how much does it cost 120 pounds yes. absolutely not that's not that's not <laughs> dipping your toe in the water that's selling your foot And i
2: feel uh, like if you do want to dip your toe in the water and i was uh I, you talked about og gloomhaven in the review but jaws of the lion is Forty pounds over here mm. when I when I googled it earlier, and like if you want to dip your toes into the waters of dungeon crawling, you could do a lot worse than Jaws of the Lion. I had a blast uh, playing through some of the campaign there. Yeah, so, yeah. and of course, uh, Tom, you reviewed a sequel of your very own. You reviewed
1: Burgle Brothers Two: Casino Capers, a sequel of
2: my own, which I designed myself. You didn't. You didn't no, I didn't. That's, I know that. that's illegal. If I were to say that, I'd get in trouble.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, Burgle 2's Buggle Bows, Buggle Bros to the Casino Capers is really great. Uh, I wish that in the review that I'd lingered on the way that the game feels so much more like a team effort than the original. Like, you know. Oh, really? Well, so, in the original you had three floors, and it was beneficial to split up the players over those three floors kind of as soon as possible, because the longer you lingered on a floor, the more cards you'd draw from that guard, and that guard would get faster and faster. And they'd become more unpredictable, because it would go around, like, four people's turns until it got back to you, so the guard would probably run into you. So you'd split across those floors, and it sometimes would feel like four players were doing three puzzles and just sort of dividing them between each other with a little interaction. In Bogle 2... Two floors, four players means that you're always juggling each of those floors and there's always action on both happening at the same time. You're always helping your friend get out of scrapes. You've got abilities that you can use at any time rather than just on your turn, so you can be very flexible in how you help out your friends. I just I I wish I'd lingered on that more because I think it is maybe the best feature of Burgle 2 is that it feels way more slick and like you're a very well-oiled machine when it goes well. And then just, it's an absolute farce when it goes badly. It's such a funny game. They're both are just you very, keeping, very funny.
1: Are you keeping both games in your collection?
2: I have not got Burgle 1 anymore. I gave it to my friend because he likes it a lot. And then I got Burgle 2. And I think so, there were also comments saying, should I buy Burgle 2 if I've got Burgle 1? Or should I just buy Burgle 2? Or should I buy both? Um, I would say that I, th- I prefer Burgle 2. I think it's a better game. So I think you should get Burgle 2 if you're new to it. If you already have Burgle 1 and you love it, go ahead treat yourself to a second a second splash in that paddling pool uh if you have burgle one and you don't like it or you think it's fine or whatever burgle two isn't going to completely rock your world but i will say hang on
1: now you have to complete this this sequence what happens if you've got burgle two and you like it do you buy burgle
2: one or no no (laughs) No.
1: okay well that's interesting
2: i think because bugle 2 has enough stuff in the box to keep you going um i don't think you necessarily need i just think like it it could that was another thing about the review is that I felt like I must have such rosy spectacles about *Burger Bros. 1. Because <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed my, my time with it so much, but I enjoyed it at a time when I wasn't like deeply into the hobby. So maybe if I went back to it now, I would have my critical goggles on and I'd be appraising it for all it's worth. Um, I think that you don't need to have both, but I think both games are just fantastic and, and well worth owning. Uh, and if you love the system, apparently you can combine the two. Yeah, I was going to I ask about realize. that because I saw a comment saying that you can combine the two. And
0: is that is that a thing?
2: I, I I think so I think you just mix up the tiles together but you keep like certain elements the same so that you know that it's going to be like playable but uh this is I mean if if Tim Fowers one day decides to make Burgle 3 an unofficial mod for owners of Burgle 2 and Burgle 1 where you do a five-floor <laughs> building where two floors of it a casino and three floors of it a facility <laughs> I I would I don't know what would happen to me I would just go wild
1: <laughs> I'm so into this I'm mm. so into this
2: uh, Burgle Bros. 2 doesn't really have like deep spoilers in the box, but what I'm about to talk about is kind of spoilery. Uh so just just stop listening to the podcast if you want to avoid uh these spoilers at all costs. But do you two care about spoilers for Burgle Bros. 2? Good. Cause no, I'm gonna I tell must- you- oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna tell you about some of the finales that are included in the box, right? So they start off quite simple one of them is just like you have to find some celebrities and take them out with you there's one that's like you have to find some marked chips they're fine they're fine one of them is you find a car inside the safe and you have to drive (laughs) it out the window in the building there's one where there's a golden crusted football that you have to throw between the players Uh, (laughs) there's one where there's just a straight up tiger in the vault that has a jeweled necklace uh, around its neck and you have to tempt it around using slab of meat but it might eat the bouncer which you need to avoid Um, there's a couple I haven't played there's a SWAT team that crashes into the building and the last one is called like bring the whole thing down and the whole thing is you have to demolish this casino I I like in my head the casino is the same casino you're robbing every single time and the final one is like, let's just get rid of it for good. Um, it's like the final circle of hell.
0: Oh, I really like the idea that the narrative is
2: that you try and burgle the same casino nine <laughs> times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the way that I I was going to talk about this as well was it's like the finale system feels like if the haunts system from Betrayal at House on the Hill like sort of works consistently um, there's like nine or ten finales and there's room for them all to be great if there's so few and they all they only last like three or four turns so they're never going to sort of like cut you off right at the end and make you push you into this fail state that's a nightmare but they're still dramatic and the reveal is still there. That's the most important thing is this big reveal where everyone decides they're going to scratch their heads for a few minutes about how the hell they're going to like manipulate the gravity boots to get them to the right place at the right time uh it's great
1: we can all agree to that it's just it's so terrific to have tim flowers with all of his designs like you know fugitive and burgle brothers and saboteur and anything that he makes have these themes of movies and mm. that should be common in board games because you know theming your board game like as in popular genres of movies like heist movies or cop movies or whatever, you know that should be common, and it's just not.
2: Tim Fowles feels like he's almost working alone in making these cinematic experiences, mm. and they're so they're so juicy and they're so full of narrative, and they're so slapstick. I think is the thing that they they do not take yeah, themselves. Yeah, and he seriously. does it all while making it family-friendly as well. So not
1: only is it a really appealing theme, it's like, we're going to rob a casino or you're running away from the law. Mm. Um, it's it's like, it, there's no there's not much violence. You know, there's no killing in his games, I don't think. no, Which is just, which is obviously great because it means, you know, more and more people can get in on the action. So I think that's good. <laughs> and, and with that outrageous statement, that's probably going to bring the end of podcast 158 to a close. I think this is going to be the last podcast before we have a little bit of a break and then when we come back it's going to be with a super podcast because it's going to be the podcast that we record live on our Twitch channel at Orshucks which we can reveal it now is going to have all the three of us me and Tom and Ava talking about an escape room advent calendar put out by the people who make the exit series of games <laughs> from the excellent designers inca and marcus brand now we had to I, I won't get too much into this but basically we're playing this advent calendar in the run-up to <laughs> all shucks so it's not an advent calendar running up to christmas it's running up to all shucks advent
0: advent we are in advent now it's just a different advent <laughs> that isn't the normal yeah. one
1: <laughs> But we had to do it early because it's the only way we could review it before Christmas so we can tell you whether to get it for yeah. Christmas or not. And I'll tell you what, I think we can all agree that we're having a blast playing it together because every day is a different puzzle in the escape room. And every day we all jump onto Slack and are like, today's puzzle was, was nonsense. <laughs> or, or, I mean, that's mostly what we use the channel for, isn't it? Just complaining yeah, yeah, about, much. about puzzles that we were too stupid to solve. Yeah, uh, I'm going to do, uh, do mine, mine now before I head out. Before. I'm going to do mine right now as well. <laughs> Oh cool. Woo! Today's is great. You two are going to love it. Today's is great. What day are we on? I can't remember, but it's uh, it's a good it's one a today. We yeah. did it this morning. All right, thank you all very much uh, for listening to the Shadow of the Podcast and we'll be back in just a few weeks with an extra special, juicy, feature-packed pod.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.